Good morning, everyone. If you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. All right, we're going to take a little different look at some things here this morning. But a funny story to start you off here. Well, it's not that funny to start. It's a funny ending. But uh, my wife broke her foot back in September of this year. So that's not funny. That's not the funny part. Uh, We were actually, sadly, on our 29th wedding anniversary, we were taking a walk on a sidewalk out in Holmes County area. And the sidewalk was honestly a lot like this. I don't know, I've almost killed myself coming up here. There's this little ledge. But uh, the sidewalk wasn't graded. Like the ground level wasn't here. It literally was like like here. And so she's walking and she turned her ankle like that and it snapped. All that to say, she's been rehabbing that ankle for now four months or more. It's better. It's obviously she's walking on it, but uh, she was, uh, she had got this elastic, what is it now? An elastic rubber band type thing, an exercise band. You guys seen what those, it was basically to work her foot and to, you know, strengthen her ankle. So she had asked me to help her one morning uh, and she's sitting on the floor and she says, Hey, you hold the two ends here and I'll put my foot. She had it around her foot this way and I'm sitting on the chair that way. So I'm pulling and she lets go of it and it snaps me and hits me right in the mouth. Yeah, literally. I was initially like, uh, I didn't laugh right away because while there was some pain that it was involved, she had then held it in for as long as she could before she's cracking up. So I tell you that because it's kind of what this message is today. It might snap and hit you in the face a little bit. And I'm, it's not my intent, but unfortunately, truth is truth, and, and sometimes it hurts to hear it. Um, so we're taking a little bit different turn. You know, we've covered, and I feel proven, that God created the universe. We've then proven that that same God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and that he lived life on this earth perfect and sinless and then he went to the cross, died on the cross, was buried and then we proved that he rose again by many infallible proofs on Sunday morning. All that to say today though, I want to reveal to you who this Jesus actually is. What does he stand for? What's his character like? And that's what we're going to look at today. It's what I call, I think the title is The God Standard. And it's really going to hopefully make grace amazing for you. What he offers to everyone on this planet. So that's where I'm headed today. If you are in your Bibles, please look, follow along with me in Romans chapter 3. Look in verse 10. It starts, As it is written, there is none righteous. No not one. It's almost as if Paul's anticipating somebody coming up with someone who was righteous. Like, what about, what about this person, or the Pope, or some other holy person, or whatever? No, no. Not one. There is not one righteous. That's what he says. Verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, Not one. There he did. He repeated himself. Remember, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word's established. And we got two witnesses saying the same thing here. God's repeating it. Paul's saying this is important. Verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. They've lied. The poison of asps is under their lips. How many times have we hurt somebody with our lips and the words that came out of our mouths? Think of that. That's what that means. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. And here's the problem. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just come before your throne right now, and I'm just thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your law that reveals your righteousness, the righteous standard by which 
We all will be judged. And I pray as we walk through your, your word this morning that uh, hearts would be changed, that they would be honest, and they would uh, listen carefully. And then get right with you if necessary, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, when he's recounting the, the parable of the sower in, in a couple of the various Gospels, but specifically in Luke 8.18, he says, Take heed, therefore, how you hear. How you hear. And I'm, I'm going to ask you this morning, I know you, some of you slept poorly, I get it. But I'm telling you what, be careful today. Be careful how you hear. It's critical how you hear this. So with that, follow along with me on your introduction on your study sheet. We know that men love darkness rather than light. That's just quoting from John 3:19. Most heinous crimes take place at nighttime. Night is your blank. Honestly, I still make my children, and they're 19 and 25. I want them home before midnight, if at all possible, because I know nothing good happens after midnight. Just as criminals don't go looking for a police station, sinners aren't looking for God. They are running from Him because they hate Him. You're in Romans. I want you to flip back to Romans 1. Just look there with me. I didn't make that up. Sinners hate God. Verse 30 very much says, talking about these sinners that have rejected God. Backbiters... What's next? Haters of God. They hate God. They are sworn enemies with God. That's exactly what it says in Colossians 1.21. The prodigal son, it's the story of the prodigal son found in Luke 15, but he, he left his father. He went into a far country to spend his inheritance that he got from his father and his money on prostitutes because he wanted to be away. That's your blank. Away from his father. Why did he want to be away? Because he knew his father wouldn't approve. He wanted to get far away and do what he wanted. That's why people reject God. We talked about that last night. They've they got to get rid of God because they want to have enjoyment in their sin while they're on this earth. So, nothing has changed since the beginning of creation when Adam ran and hid from God after sinning. Remember, God comes down to the Garden of Eden. He says, Adam, where are you? I still think that's funny. Playing hide and seek with God. He knows where you are. But literally, they were hiding. They knew they had sinned and they wanted to cover themselves. They're, they're ashamed. But Adam, where are you? They ran and hid. Um, Got to find where I was. Sorry. Um, that's just what guilty sinners do. We must convince guilty sinners to stop running from the only true God, to stop making up gods in their minds, to appease their conscience, which constantly reproves them of their sin. A person cannot be saved until they understand the true character of God. We must understand who He is. He's holy, He's righteous, He's just, there's more, He's love, He's all of those things. But before we, uh, be, but before we will understand who we are in His sight, we are unholy, unrighteous, unjust, wretched sinners in need of a Savior. Thankfully, the Ten Commandments do a wonderful job of revealing to the whole world the true character of our God who just so happens to be our Creator, our Judge, and our Savior. They are what I call the God standard. And as a bonus, He wrote this law on the hearts of everyone. And we are all without excuse, as we read last night in Romans 1.20. Isn't, I think it's neat. You're in Romans. Look in Romans 2.15. For as many as have sinned without... Excuse me, I'm in the wrong verse. Uh, verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness... The, wall, the law is written on your heart. I don't care where you go in the world. I don't care what religion they are. They know it's wrong to lie. They know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to uh, uh, murder people and, and on and on and on. They know it because God wrote it on their hearts. We're made in the image of God. Um, it also says in Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. So, with that, run over to uh, Luke chapter 23 before we get into the Ten Commandments. Luke chapter 23. Just want to give you a quick example of what happens when you see God for who He is and you for who you are. And remember when Jesus was on the cross? Who was on each side of Him? Two what? Thieves. Two thieves. There were two other criminals 
on either side of the cross. And uh, it says uh, in Mark 15, 32, don't turn there, but at, the, at one time, both of these thieves were reviling on Jesus. They were, they were throwing insults on him. If you're, if you're the king of the Jews, if you're God, why don't you uh, save yourself and save us and get us down from here? Almost reviling, mocking him. And look in Luke, though. Luke gives us a little more details about what happened here. Luke 23, and look in verse 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, that's the two thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, remember he's saying this out loud, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. That was a sign they placed right above the cross. This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39. And one of the male factors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. little self-motivation. He wanted off the cross. Verse 40. But the other, the other thief on the cross, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. In other words, we're on this cross because we, we deserve it. We committed crimes worthy of death. We got what we deserved. He didn't. He's noticing something about this Jesus in the middle. Just by listening to Jesus and watching him. I mean, he heard him say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It's rocking this uh, thief's uh, mind right now. Verse 41, uh, continue. And, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, so he actually even recognizes this Jesus is, is, is sinless. Something's different. This is, this is God in human flesh next to me. And he said unto Jesus, check what he called him, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's amazing, you guys. He didn't, have a long, he didn't have two long, hour-long messages at winter camp. He's just watching Jesus, the Savior. And he didn't know him, but he's listening to him, and he's watching a man die in a way that he's never seen before. He's not mad at these people that are hanging him, uh, that, that are putting him up there. And he, you know, he said a lot of words on the cross, but I'm just telling you, it got to the point where he's like, Lord, will you remember me? And... Uh, that's the simple prayer I'm after from all of your hearts right now. At some point, that's what we want. If your heart can get to the point where you see Jesus for who he really is, hanging on the cross for you because of your sins. And you might think, I haven't done that much. Well, I'm going to prove otherwise this morning. But um, telling you what, it'll rock your world to where you can maybe say, Lord, remember me and know that today you're going to one day be with him in paradise. And we get to meet that thief one day. I'm, I'm very excited to... Uh, to meet that thief. Um, anyway, let's move on to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20. We don't need to turn there right now. Uh, they're really listed for you on your sheet. I have them typed out. But they're listed for you in Exodus 20 and repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. They're the moral commandments uh, given to Moses when he went up on Mount Sinai and met with God. And God wrote them with his very finger in rock. And he's bringing them down. That's how Moses, and that's how we got those Ten Commandments. All right? That's what we're going to go through today. And on your study sheet, I, sh I should have referenced it. 1 John 3, 4 defines what sin is for us. Sin is the transgression of the law. It's really just violating God. And God is defined by the Ten Commandments and, and, and much more than that. But I, I, like it. I like this outline because it, it does simplify it in the sense of what does God expect of us? What is God like? And how are we violating him just with our lives? And uh, that's what we're going to look at today. So commandment number one says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why, why is this? Because God is jealous. God is jealous is your blank. I believe that's a blank, right? It's filled in for you? Oh, there you go. Let me see that study sheet. Oh, 
No. Should have been a blank. <laughs> I gave you a free one. Now you got to pay attention the rest of the time. Okay, for us though, he wants, he wants, he's jealous for us. He wants exclusivity. That's what he wants. He wants us to worship him alone. Um, Have you ever seen that bumper sticker, coexist? It's, you know, it's all the other religion symbols. And you know what? I'm just letting you know God hates that bumper sticker. The God of the Bible hates that bumper sticker. doesn't mean we hate other people in those religions. That's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you what? He wants us to have no other gods before him. And... uh, so we can't really coexist. We're called to evangelize them. We're called to warn them and teach them and show them, which is what we're after. I am hot in here in this stupid sweatshirt. Might have to rip that off here at some point. Okay. Um, okay, anyways, God is not an egotist, though, for wanting or, or commanding us to worship and praise him. He's not. Uh, just so you know, I'm, I've been married to my wife for now almost 30 years, and I am, quite frankly, no different than God with respect to my wife. I'm very jealous for her. I want exclusivity. And she would demand the same of me. I think that's right. That's what marriage is about. And quite frankly, if anybody tries to hurt her or do something with her, I'm ticked off. Because you know what? She's mine and I'm hers. And that's the same way God feels with us. And he created us. He has the right. He owns us. He bought us with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ, to boot. Um, So he has the right to demand this, this worship and praise. And what people just need to understand, he's worthy of that, right? He's worthy of that praise. He's lavished his goodness upon us with the pleasures of this life. He's created, as we talked about, the smallest thing like the hummingbird that's amazing to watch, the elephant or the blue whale. Uh, It's just, it goes on and on. Even a massive storm. It's just amazing to watch a storm and the power of God, and he's in control of it all. Um, he's worthy of our praise, our fear, um, because, the, because he's God. And I just want to ask you this question. What if you had tomorrow only the things you were thankful for today? Would you be poor? I, I ask you this because you should take time each day to thank God for his goodness and what he's done for you. He's given you so much eyes to see with, ears to hear with, uh, food to eat, a roof over your head, clothes to wear, uh, and and, and so much more. That's just the basic provisions of life. But he's been good to us. He doesn't have to give us that. Um, So make sure you're being thankful to God. He's certainly worthy of our praise. But the issue is, have you always given God the praise he's worthy of? Because if not, you're guilty of commandment number one. You're guilty. Guilty is charged, and you're going to answer for it on Judgment Day. Let's look at commandment number two. Commandment number two is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Any graven image. And you're like, oh, I'm good on that one. I haven't, haven't made any graven images. Well, I'm going to probably shock you because you probably have. But why is this? Why does God command this? Because God is logical and incomparable. Nothing compares to him. He alone is worthy of worship since he alone is God. We obviously can't make a God, right? Even if we could form a little idol, we can't make one. I mean, yet they've done that in the past. Where I tell you what what we do in America is quite different. The place of our image is in our imaginations. We make up a God in our minds that we serve and we name him Jesus. And it's got no reference to what the scripture says, what Jesus is. Turn with me to Psalm 115. We're all guilty of this at some point. That's why it's important to understand the character of God so that you don't make up a false God in your mind that's okay with, well, who you are. It's quite convenient. Oh, my God's okay with me. I worship my God. I call him Jesus, and he's okay that I do this sin. He's okay with You pick your sin. It's a false God. Look in Psalm 115, look at verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, and for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. 
Check this, verse 8. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Trust me. The reason they're making their little idol, whatever it is, wherever you go in the world, they're making their idol up, calling it a god, and they make, they make that god in their mind okay with their particular sin fetish. That's what it is. And that's why I'm telling you, this Ten Commandments set it all right. And we're going to get to more of that later. But um, the, sadly, people you know, often think, but God is love. Well, he's so loving, he's just going to forgive everybody. Uh, he is love, and that love is always seen in one place on Calvary, at the cross where he died for us. But uh, the thing that people think is going to save them on Judgment Day, sadly, is going to be the very thing that condemns them, and that's God's goodness, because he has to punish sin. Just think if you're in a courtroom guilty of some vicious crime. You can say, but judge, I've done all this good. I've done all this. I've done, I've done good with my family and all this. The, the judge isn't going to really care. He's going to be like, yeah, but you murdered her. Doesn't care that you haven't murdered all the other women in there, you know. You didn't murder her. It's kind of irrelevant. The goodness of the judge, if he's a good judge, will put him away or, or execute him because that's what he's worthy of. So the goodness of God is the same way. He must punish sin. And he will punish sin. So don't think that the goodness of God is going to get you out of it on Judgment Day because God is a God of justice. Um, he, he, he's also just as he is love. So the place, note the place of imagery is our imagination. The place of imagery is our imagination. Um, Second John, or 1 John 5.21 tells us, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Have you ever read that verse? And you're like, oh, I don't have a problem with that. Make sure you don't have a problem with that. Make sure the Jesus that you're worshiping is the Jesus of the Bible. Okay, the Jesus of the Ten Commandments. Um, look in uh, or number three on your study sheet. Commandment number three. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It's called blasphemy, by the way. Why, why does he say this? Because God is holy. He is holy. Um, it's, I, I do want you to turn to Exodus chapter... 20, if you would. I want you to see this. Exodus 20. He gives a little more detail on this one. It says that, verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, guiltless that taketh his name in vain. You're not going to be guiltless. In other words, you're going to be guilty if you take his name in vain. That means maybe even calling yourself a Christian when you're not or when you're acting like you're not. Um, so that, that, that could be a big problem. In Philippians, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Philippians 2.11 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus is key. In fact, we just walked in underneath the big sign. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And yet people today use it as a cuss word. Literally, Hollywood script writers literally write scripts where they literally take Jesus' name in vain and write it into the script and make the actor say it. And then we go and pay money to watch it. I mean, that's hard for me to take, but literally, that's what happens. Uh, they don't do that with Muhammad. Have you ever heard Muhammad's name taken in vain? Or Buddha? Never. But boy, you hear Jesus' name taken in vain all the time. And I guess I'll ask you, have you ever done it? Not that that's the only way that you can violate this commandment, because I think you can violate this commandment in a number of ways by just maybe laughing at a dirty joke. While they know you go to a church that claims to love and worship Christ, and you're laughing at a dirty joke, well, that, you just blaspheme God. When the Jews used to copy the scriptures, and they were they were they, back before there were printing presses, they used to before they came to the name of God, it was so holy they used to take their clothes off and wash themselves before they wrote the name. Yeah. And every time they came to the name, they did it again. Now that's obviously outward, and I get that. I'm just telling you, that's how reverent they were to the name of God. We are the complete opposite in America right now, especially Hollywood. So be aware of that. It's a big deal. He's not going to hold you guiltless for taking his name in vain. Are you guilty of breaking this commandment? And the answer to that question is yes, you are. In some way, shape, or form at some point, and probably multiple times, possibly even yet this morning.
All right, commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Um, why did he give this commandment? First of all, it's because God is creator. He created the earth in six days, and what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. That's what the Sabbath day is. It's a day of rest. Six days of work, and then he rested. He wanted us first to remember he was our creator, which we dealt with last night. And then, God is creator and God is just. That's your blank. God is just. He can't be bribed with works. And what do I mean by that? Why, why would I say God is just? Why does this have to do with the justice of God? Because he's, not, he's, he's the judge that's not going to be bribed. I'm sorry, you're guilty of a crime and you're going to try to pay off the judge? You just added to your crimes, did you not? Think of it. You're guilty of whatever crime. You're standing before the judge and you're like, if you let me go, I'll give you this on the side. You know what? You've just added to your crimes. You just tried to bribe the judge. That's also illegal. And that's exactly what God's saying. He's like, listen, I want you to rest from your works. I want you to stop it. Look in uh, Hebrews 4 and verse 10. Run over to Hebrews. I so wanted to have a PowerPoint, but I just did one. Unfortunately, I ran out of time on this one. Just couldn't get that. So you're going to have to work in your Bibles a little bit today, and that'll be just okay, right? So Hebrews chapter 4. I do have a lot of the verses that I'm going to just try to read to you, but I want you to see this. Hebrews 4 and verse 10. It says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. So, there it is. And we all know the verses in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Salvation is what? By grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not going to boast or brag when we get to heaven. Look what I did. I got here. I did my part. You did nothing. If your answer to heaven is anything other than, I'm here by the blood of Jesus. I stand on him and his righteousness alone. I have none of my own. Then I have a feeling you might not understand what salvation is. That's the issue. All right. It's all about the justice of God and God being our creator. That's what remember the Sabbath day. Remember, we've been saved apart from our works. And uh, we need to be aware of that. Okay, commandment number five. All of your favorites, I'm sure. Honor thy father and thy mother. I'm quite sure you're all guilty of this one on multiple occasions because we all were and are, self-included. Um, why does God give us this commandment? Because God is our Father and He's our ultimate authority. It's really to teach us to respect and, and obey authority in our lives. Um, oh, do I want to turn there? Uh, Deuteronomy 21. I want to go there. Deuteronomy, the fourth book or fifth book in your Bible, the fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy 21. some steep penalties for uh, violating this commandment in the Old Testament. And I just want you to see this because it's a serious thing. Verse 18, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. And all Israel shall hear and what? Fear. That was a pretty stiff penalty for not honoring your father and mother in the Old Testament. That's why you don't have that. It wasn't too much of a problem back then. Yeah, I think a couple of you wouldn't be too lippy anymore if that was the way we handled it today, right? Yeah. You'd probably be a little more careful on how you respect and, and talk to authority, especially your mother and your father. All right? It's a big deal. It's a big deal to God because he's our authority. And quite frankly, we have problems with people in this country and how they even respond to cops, as Andy can well probably attest to because they had never learned this in their home. They didn't have a dad teaching them what authority meant and that you don't cross authority, both mother and father. And it's important to learn that concept because eventually we have to transfer that, our respect and authority for our parents to our God. 
and our king and our savior. And if we don't learn it in the home, don't think you're going to probably figure it out without an amazing work of, of grace, which happens and hopefully can still happen today. But uh, in here, turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs, Proverbs 1. I want you to know this fear, this fear of God is a choice. And that's exactly what it says. It's by the fear of the Lord that men depart from evil, the Bible teaches us. But look in one, chapter 1 and verse 29. It's a choice you can make to fear the Lord. It says, For that they hated knowledge, verse, Proverbs 1, 29, For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. And I'm just telling you right now, to forsake the fear of the Lord, you guys, it's like disconnecting your car's brakes and, and pushing down on the accelerator. And you have no restraint anymore. That's what it is if you've done that in your life. It's like, look out. You're asking to be destroyed. You have no way to stop now. And that's why we, have, we talked about this last night with the Columbine shooting. That's what happened in those kids' lives. They, they, they had no fear of God. They cut, they cut the car brakes on their car and they pushed the accelerator and they just went for it. There was no fear of God. And I'm telling you, when someone is godless, their personal happiness is what becomes their primary concern. That's really the issue. They are the center of the universe and everything revolves around them. Their feelings, their rights, their wants, their happiness. But you know what? The godly, they center, they center on God's will, not their own. Their foot is on the brake. Their foot is on the brake and personal happiness takes a back seat to, to righteousness. Life's decisions aren't based on what makes you or me or them happy, but on whether or not a certain thing is right. That's the issue. And I'm telling you, please don't cut the brakes of the car. I'm telling you, choose the fear of the Lord. That's why this message was really prepared. And I'm going to go on. There's going to be more we're going to talk about. But I'm telling you, it's okay to fear God. Yes, you reverence Him. And I get that. And He is a loving Father. But I'm telling you what, I love my Father, but I'm afraid of Him. And I'm talking even my earthly father to this day. He's 74. I could probably whip his butt, but I'm still afraid of him. He spanked my butt, and I'm telling you what, I was afraid of that man. <laughs> and I'm telling you, he taught me to fear God, and I'm thankful for that. Because I know my dad loves me, and, uh, but I, I don't know. He just taught me the fear of the Lord, and for that I'm forever thankful. And I hope that's in your life. But if not, it can still be something you choose to fear God. Because he's worthy of being afraid of. I'm telling you, he is worthy of that. Um, Okay, enough on that one. Let's move on to commandment number six. Thou shalt not kill. Why? Why is this? Because God is life. He is life. That's why he doesn't want you to kill. What's it say in John 14, 6? Does anybody know have that verse memorized? I am the way, the truth, and the... He is the life. That's why it's wrong to kill. That's why abortion's wrong. It's wrong to murder, all right? God views even hatred as murder. 1 John 3.15, I have it here. You don't need to turn if I can find it quickly. Yeah. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. whole issue is God looks at our heart. Even hatred is murder. Um, I'm telling you, where this could potentially ever happen in your I'm sure you've hated somebody or something in your life when somebody's ticked you off. But I'm talking in, in my world, it happens on the highways a lot with driving. In fact, it just happened recently to my son, our oldest son, Cameron, 25, just this week. He was driving through the work zone on uh, I-77 North, and uh, he, he got over to, to pass somebody, and some other guy wanted to go faster than him, and he got apparently ticked off at Cameron. He had gotten over for him, but the guy was so ticked off, he got over, and, and Cameron was just trying to get away, and he got right on his tail, and he, got, he pulled up right beside him, got as close, and he was saying, I'm this close to you. Like, he was threatening to wreck him. And Cameron was freaked out. My 25-year-old son, who is a concealed carry holder, he didn't have his gun with him. I do wish he did at that point. Not that he should have shown it to him, but I'm just like, I, he was a little nervous about what to do, and I'm, he's on the phone with me, and I'm like, listen, you need to drive directly. I, I, I was... I want him to actually call you, Andy. I don't know if he tried to, but yeah. did he after the fact? All that to tell you, he ends up driving to the state highway patrol station. The guy followed him in there. 
he wouldn't even stop. Cameron was like, he was so nervous to come out, get off the exit. The guy got off to follow him. And uh, he, he kind of came to a rolling stop as slow as he could because he didn't want to stop his car, afraid what that guy was going to do. He got through the, the, the green light, and this is on shuffle. And then he went up to the right. And he was on the phone at that point with the dispatcher or whatever at, at the highway patrol. All that to say, I'm telling you, that guy had a hatred in his heart and apparently wanted to do some serious harm to my son. God delivered him, and I'm very thankful for that. I'm just telling you, watch out for hatred. Hatred kills. That's the sin behind every murder is hate. You got it? So watch out for hatred. We shouldn't hate uh, others. That's, uh, and God sees our thought life. Don't ever forget that. Okay, commandment number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You're thinking, great, I'm not married. I'm good on this one. Oh boy, you're not. Okay, Matthew chapter 5. I want you to see this. We're going to be here for just a little bit. This is a big deal, guys. And gals, sorry. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, he's here. This is the famous Sermon on the Mount. All the Sermon on the Mount is, Jesus is up on a mountain because he could be elevated so he could preach to the masses that could have gathered and your voice would project off the mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. That's all it is. It's Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. Some of the most amazing teaching you'll ever read. But we're going to look at one verse that he said when he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, But I say unto you that whosoever look... Oh wait, let's first start in verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's commandment number 7. 20, verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. See, God's saying, even if you look with lust, which is sexual desire, and guys, you know what I mean by this, for sure. I can speak to that because I'm a man as well. And when you start lusting, it's sexual in nature. It's not like just saying, oh, you look pretty. That's not what I'm talking about. And you know the difference. And God will speak to your conscience in that area. I'm telling you, it's, it's adultery. You're guilty of the seventh commandment every time it happens. And girls, the same is true for you looking at men. So I, I want to just bring this up. And this is an uncomfortable topic. But it's a plague in our culture, and it is pornography. It's a plague, and it's a plague on the, on the phones that you all have. And don't drop your eyes and start not looking and paying attention. And I'm telling you, it's key. You need to understand, there is never an excuse ever to look at pornography of any kind. And I mean ever. It literally is the road to hell. It will destroy you. Now, I'm not trying to say you lose your salvation. I'm not trying to say that's what happens. But it, I'm telling you what, if you have a desire to look at pornography, let me just tell you this. I'd question whether you ever truly were born again. And you better, you better be fighting that in your life. It should, and this isn't a fight that happens, though, I, I won today, but I lost tomorrow. No, never. You can't do it. If you're struggling now, you need to find somebody to help you and cut it off. It will destroy you. I promise you, God does not let his children do that. He says once you become his child, he will discipline you. In fact, I'm going to go there to, uh, this afternoon. There's a verse that says he will destroy you if you defile his temple. You are, you are in a dangerous spot if you're a child of God doing pornography. I mean, good luck. You are going to be disciplined like you've never seen discipline in your life. You thought your dad spanked hard. You wait till God gets a hold of you. He calls it scourging. That's what he calls it in Hebrews 12. I don't know if you know what a scourge is. It's what they did to Jesus' back where they took a rope or a, a leather rope where they, they tied glass shards and they put it on his back 39 times. And basically when he was hanging on the cross, his bones were exposed in his back. That's what happened to our Savior for your sin and mine. And God says he actually will do that to his children if he needs to because he loves us so much. Because he does not want us to go down that road. That's a really gracious God, and it's, it's something to fear, yeah. But I'm glad my God does that to me. It's what keeps me pure. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure, the Bible says. Um, I'm telling you, lust, it's like having a pet baby boa constrictor. You know, when they're, when they're a baby little snake, you get it out and you play with it, and you're like, oh, it's harmless. And then the thing grows, and then it grows. And then all of a sudden, this boa constrictor will wrap right around your neck, and you can't do anything about it, and it'll kill you dead. That's what pornography will do to each and every one of you. 
I'm telling you, you can't mess with it, you guys. I can't stress it enough. Um, it's just something uh, in our home, I'm telling you, since my kids were small, we've had a thing on our, uh, my wife has had a thing called covenant eyes on our phone where she can see everywhere where I go, my sons go. Cameron still has it on his phone. We probably need to get it transferred to his wife. He just got married. But I'm telling you what, we mean business in our home about this. I don't want my kids to fall into that area because that will destroy their future marriage. That will destroy everything. It's just heartbreaking to think what it, what it can do. In fact, just recently, we went and saw a, a, a high school play that Grace was in it called Radium Girls. It was at the New, Philly, uh, New Philadelphia High School put it on. I'm telling the whole story of Radium Girls. It was during, the, I think, World War I, if I'm not mistaken. They were, they were making these watches for the soldiers, and they used radium to make the watches glow because radium was a whatever, an element that allowed things to glow. It was radioactive is what it was. However, they didn't know what some of the health effects were. And what they were doing, they were taking the, the ladies that were making these watches for the soldiers, they were dipping the paintbrushes in, painting the watches, and then to make, because they had some fine work, they, they, they put them in their mouths and wiped them off. It apparently wasn't objectionable to the taste. All that to say they started to slowly rot away their jaws years later, and they, they died horrible horrible deaths and the whole story of the radium girls is, is the company was I can't remember the company's name something radium company but um, there was a lawsuit that went on to, to you know for the families of the victims of, of that tragedy the point being is it was a slow death that was quite frankly not uh, noticeable at first and you think that's what that's what lust is it seems harmless oh it's anything but harmless you guys anything but harmless. I just, I want to warn you and warn you about that. Um, uh, honestly, sexual sin, it can also be likened to like a steep water slide though in some ways. You ever seen that? I, used to, I rode one of these. I'll never get on one again, but uh, too old for it. But you've seen those water slides at the water parks where they go and then they're just straight down. That's the water slide. I've done it a few times, but I'm telling you what, it doesn't take long to get to the point of no return and then you're diving headlong. And that's my fear with pornography. It is as addictive as heroin. It's, it's literally something that you can't, you can't stop on your own if you get too far. So don't start. And if you already started, I'm telling you, get help. Find some leader in here and get help. Get help from your parents. Don't let it go. You, you really have destroyed, you will destroy your whole future. So that's what I'm trying to warn you about, okay? I know, I know this is uh, very intense, but I'm just telling you, I don't know how else to do it other than to make you afraid of it because that's a good thing. There's a, there's a reason you don't touch a hot stove when it's lit. You're not stupid. You know it's going to hurt. And I'm just telling you, pornography is a hot stove. Please be smart enough not to touch it. Stay far away, all right? All right, let's move on. Uh, number eight. Oh, did I? Oh, sorry. I apologize. Got right into it. The reason we should not commit adultery is because God is faithful. He's faithful to us. We should be faithful to our spouse, our future spouse. And it starts now. You should save yourself for your future spouse. That's the whole point. With your eyes, your mind, your body. They're His. And they're your future spouses. Uh, number eight, commandment number eight. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because God is love. And you're like, oh, why is that? Why is that? Why is God in love? Why, how does that connect? Well, here I'll tell you. What's the opposite of stealing something? Is giving. And what's the Bible say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you, wanna, you want to, the reason God says don't steal, you be a giver. We need to be givers in this life. God is love, and that's why he says, please don't violate my character. I am love. Be a giver, not a taker, not a stealer, not a thief. Um, so I guess I ask you, have you ever stolen anything? Even if it's small. How about on a test, an answer to a quiz or a test that you've taken? Have you ever cheated? Same thing, stealing. Be aware of that. Be careful. Commandment number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. In other words, lie. Why is this? Because God is truth. We've already looked at John 14, 6. God is the way, the 
truth and the life. Lying, we tend to trivialize it, don't we? Oh, it's a white lie, it's a small thing. I'm telling you, if you don't make it a point in your life right now to say, I will not lie, your flesh will naturally just do it to protect yourself. It just will. You know, Corey kind of did it up here when he said it was his phone. I mean, it was a joke, and I'm not, you know, but he was, it's just, nat you naturally like, oh, no, I, I was getting a phone call. I'm, he, everybody knew he was. It's okay to joke about that. That's not my point. But I'm telling you what, you will naturally protect yourself with a lie. Your flesh, it's, it's a fleshly defense mechanism. Be aware, lying's a big deal, especially to God. He, he, he's, uh, he's ticked off at lying. He says he hates lying. He, lying lips he hates, it says in the, in the book of Proverbs. But let me give you an illustration with lying. It, it, I think this will help you. Because it, it really just depends on who the sin is against. Let me, let me show you this. If I lie to a dog that I didn't have, let's say my cat. Let's say I lie to my cat. There's literally no repercussions. I can tell my cat I'm going to feed it and then not feed it. No problem. All right. If I lie to my wife... It's going to be a little bit of a problem. I might be sleeping on the couch. She could maybe even divorce me if I lie to her. So, kind of, kind of up the ante a little bit. But if I lie to my employer, I could lose my job. That could be a problem. If I lie to the U.S. government, I could go to jail for a long time on my taxes. That's happened to people. And you know what? The only difference in the crime, it's all lying. The difference in the punishment is with respect to who the crime was against. And when you understand that all lying is against God, oh boy, we just lied against the God of the universe, the Creator. He takes it very seriously. In fact, uh, Revelation 21 and verse 8, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it for you. Revelation 21 and verse 8 says, Be, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire. You're like, whoa. He, he include liars with murderers. Absolutely. Because it violates his character. That's the whole issue. It's the character of God. The righteousness of God is revealing to you right now. He is truth. He doesn't like lying. Um, commandment number 10. Thou shalt not covet. Why shouldn't we covet or desire? That's what covet means. Desire somebody else's stuff. Why? Because God is provider. He is our provider. He's the one that's given us everything we have. And when we are saying that we don't have enough, we're condemning God for not giving it to us yet. And we're not thankful. So we're, saying, we're really saying to God, we're not happy with what you've done for it with us. So when you covet, you're saying, hmm, you've not done enough for me, the Lord. It violates God. It violates who He is. He's our provider. And it's a front to God. And no wonder God is literally angry with the wicked every day, the Bible says. Do you know the Bible said that? He's literally, he's angry with the wicked every day. That's in uh, Psalm 711. But uh, turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You're like, that's a lot of commandments. And, and God gave a lot more commandments than that that really are... a expansion of those Ten Commandments, if you really want to look at it that way. Um, some more details, but if you just understand, you have violated all of those commandments on multiple occasions. But why did He give them to you? He tells you in Deuteronomy 6.24. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. Why? For our good always that He might preserve us alive as it is this day. You know what? I'm telling you what. If you guys honor those commandments or seek to, and when you don't, you repent and get right with the Lord like a good Christian should, I'm telling you what. God will honor that. He'll bless your family beyond belief. I feel like I've been able to, I've been blessed beyond measure because God put a fear in my heart since the day I was born again. And I've, I've tried to instill that in my family and made that the, the focus. And I'm telling you, I want that for you guys and your family's future. Because if it's not, destruction and misery is your life. And uh, judgment is what happens. So he did it for our good always is why he gave us these commandments. So now... We're going to move on. That's the Ten Commandments. We're all guilty. We violated them. So letter B, what's the proper use 
of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. What, literally, what does the Bible say? Number one, it's to give us a knowledge of our sin. We read it earlier in Romans 3 and verse 20. It's to give us a knowledge. That's what the law does. It's like, oh, I get it. Sin's a transgression of the law. Now I realize it. That's why your conscience lights up if you've not seared it when you violate these. That's why you know, oh boy, something's wrong. I need to probably talk to God or something because your conscience has been uh, lighting up about it. It's to give us a knowledge of our sin. Uh, turn to, if you could, well, turn to Romans 7. In Proverbs 6.23, don't turn there, but turn to Romans 7. It says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. That's what it says. I mean, that's what the, it's light. Um, have, you ever, have you ever pulled back the curtains in a dark room, and then the light reveals the dust? You ever seen that, the little speckles floating? Did the light create the dust? No, it just revealed it, didn't it? And that's what the law does. It just revealed your sin to you. You now are quite aware of your issue with God. We, we really realize, oh my, I am not like God. That's why he said there is none righteous. No, not one. That's what the law does. It reveals. Look at Romans 7 and verse 7. The apostle Paul, former persecutor of the church, miraculously gets saved and then is on a mission till the end of his life to serve Jesus Christ. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. That's how we know. It's the law. It tells us the knowledge of our sin. Number two, it's to awaken our, the conscience of lost sinners. It's to awaken our conscience, to, to make us awake. Uh, I'm telling you, um, it's like a mirror. Have you ever, anybody look in a mirror this morning before you got, you know, went to breakfast? Make sure your hair was in place. Anybody? Who looked in a mirror? Just raise your hand. A couple of you, we can probably tell you didn't, but... Um, <laughs> You look in a mirror because you, you, want to, you want to see what you are in reality, right? You want to see how the world sees you. That's what the law does. It allows you to see yourself how God sees you. Now you're like, oh, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I was doing pretty good, but now I'm like, whoa, I need to do some, I need, I need to have somebody clean me up. It's what happens. Um, just think of this. If you've done... Since ten, let's say God's only been accounting your sins since you were 10 years old. Average age in here is probably around 16. So we'll just do the math with a 16-year-old. So 10 to 16, that's six years. If you've done, let's say, uh, two sins a day, you've only sinned twice a day, so you've been pretty good since you were 10. That'd be pretty impressive. Because see, God counts a sin in thought, word, or deed. So even a thought, because he can see your thoughts, and every secret thing the Bible says is going to be brought into judgment. But if you've sinned twice a day for the last six years, you know how many sins or crimes you've committed against God and against his law? You've got 4,380 crimes. Imagine as you keep getting older. I'm telling you, your crime list is huge. We have an enormous sin debt, and we're all in big trouble. And in God's eyes, we're all Adolf Hitler. If <laughs> you really want to look at it that way. We have violated God on so many levels that we're in big trouble. So, I'm just telling you, that's what the law does. It, it awakens our conscience to let us know, hey, something's up. Recently, I was at a Mountain Union football game. My son was playing football. This, this, he's a freshman there. And uh, I was, it was the day of the... The High State Buckeyes, and I graduated from Ohio State, so I'm a big Buckeyes fan. They were playing Michigan this day. His game was going on at the same time. So I was listening in my headphones to the Buckeyes game, and at the same time, watching him, and I'm embarrassing my family because I'm talking rather loudly, and the crowd's kind of quiet, and I'm asking, like, Elliot was just punting, and he made a punt, and I was asked, trying to figure out how long it was, and I'm like, I think that was like 51 yards, wasn't it? And I'm doing it really loud, and my wife, and I think Grace was there, and she's like, um, uh, you're embarrassing us, it's a little, it's a little, and I, I'm like, oh, sorry, so I, I was like having to turn the, the volume down. The whole point is, I didn't realize I was doing that. I was, I was not seeing myself for how they were seeing me in reality. I was, and I, I was like, oh, but that's a good illustration to understand. That's what the law does. It allows you to see yourself how God sees you. 
So let, let it be that today. Number three, the third thing the law does, it's to stop our boasting and prideful mouths and reveal our guilt before God. We must stop thinking we are good enough to merit heaven and realize we deserve hell. And if you can't say that today, that's my intent. That's why I said it's going to kind of hurt you like you're getting snapped in the mouth with a, you know, exercise band. You know, you need to say, I deserve hell. And if you can't say you deserve hell, then maybe you're not who you think you are today. Maybe you're not in the right place with God. Because we all deserve hell based on our potentially 4,380 crimes. And imagine at my age what it is. It's in the hundreds of thousands. I'm in so much debt to my Savior for paying for that fine for me on the cross, which we'll get to here in just a second. So when we sin, it's primarily against God. There's an example of Joseph when he sinned against, or excuse me, when he was tempted to sin, he actually says these words with uh, Potiphar's uh, wife. She tried to tempt him to sleep with him. And Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against your husband? No, he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Your sin's against God primarily. The same thing happened with David when he sinned with Bathsheba. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That's Psalm 51.4. And then the prodigal son said, when he returned home, he said against his dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Your sin is against God and others sometimes, and we need to make it right there too. But I want it primarily, it's against God. Number four, the law. The proper use is to bring us to Christ with our hands empty, empty and our hearts broken. Galatians 3.24 says the law was our schoolmaster, our teacher to bring us to Christ. And that's what I'm trying to bring you all to, the, to get to know the real Jesus. The one who died on that cross and then resurrected from the grave. This is him. He's the one that paid the price for your sin on the cross. It had to be him. He had to die for your sin. So... I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Pilgrim's Progress. It's an ancient book at this point to you guys. It was written by a John Bunyan. But it's a story of a man named Christian. And it follows his story from... He, he started out in this city called Destruction. And he had this huge weight on his back. And he couldn't take it anymore. And he wanted to, he wanted to get this weight off his back. So he started on this journey to find this place called Calvary. And he, and he leaves the city of destruction and he gets to Calvary. And the moment he gets to Calvary at the foot of the cross, you know what happens? It just falls off. The weight's gone because he understood who he is and who the Savior was that died and bled for him and you and me. That's why Jesus died on that cross. It was for your sin. Think of it that way. He did die just for you and shed his blood just for you. You need to remember, you see, we broke God's law multiple times, but he paid the fine for your crimes against him in his life's blood so that the day of judgment, when it comes, when you're standing before God on judgment day, God can say, um, the court case can be dismissed. There's no evidence, lack of evidence. It's been washed away in the blood of Jesus. And you can be free to go and you can enter heaven because you stand on the righteousness of God given to you by Jesus Christ because of the cross. He was worthy and able to make that payment and proved it by rising from the dead. That's why I started out on lesson one with we can know that he rose from the dead. But the reason he did it was to pay the price for your fine and the fine for your crimes. And so you need to ask yourself, have I ever done that? Have I ever received Christ as my Savior? Have I ever repented and put my faith in the only Savior? That's the issue. Okay, letter C. Examples of, in Scripture of God's righteousness being revealed to lost sinners. I'm not going to go over all these. We're almost done. But I do want to go over uh, one specifically. We, we've are, uh, Jesus and the rich young ruler, we're not going to go there, but it's just quickly, he comes and runs to him and says, Master, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus didn't say, oh, just believe on me or just love me. No, he said, keep the commandments. And he's like, oh, I've done all that. Well, sell everything you have and come and follow me. And he's like, mm, can't do that. I have too much money. I like that. He's revealing his heart and preaching the commandments to him to let him know, your heart's not really with me and I know it. The whole issue is, does he have your heart? He purchased you. He owns you if you, want, if you want to be owned by him. But he does require you to make a decision and you to receive him as your savior. That's what happened in the rich Jesus and the rich young ruler. But number two, this is the one I want you to see. Turn to Acts 24. 
one of my favorite stories in the Bible, I'm telling you. It's just phenomenal. Paul here, he's, 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 in, he's been uh, imprisoned for his preaching the gospel, okay? So he's going before different leaders of, of, of various uh, areas of the country or whatever that he's in. And he's now before this man named Felix. And I want you to see this in Acts 24 and verse 24. Felix calls for him. And he wants to hear from him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, in other words, she was a Jew. Felix wasn't, but he married a Jew. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, mind you, Paul's locked up. He's in prison. And he's like, hey, bring me Paul. I want Paul. Bring him up here. I want to hear about this faith in Christ business. And I want you to see what Paul says. And as he reasoned, of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. And he answered, Go thy way for this time, for, for this time when I have conveniencies and I will call for thee. What, I really want you to notice what Paul didn't do. I mean, of, of all the times to tell people about the love of Jesus, it doesn't even seem like he mentioned it. He literally reasoned with him of God's righteousness. He wanted to show him his sin debt before God to see if he was broken and willing to repent and then believe and trust the gospel to save him. I don't even know if he got to the gospel because it says he reasoned of righteousness, which is the Ten Commandments, the standard of God's righteousness, and temperance, what, what to stay away from, and then of judgment to come. There's judgment coming, Felix. And he probably asked him, do you, do you feel like you're guilty? And he says... You go away for a while. I don't really want to hear anymore. You're making me afraid. Because he, he said he trembled. He even trembled. That was a good thing. It's a good place to be if you're trembling right now. There was a man named Jonathan Edwards. I mentioned him, I think, in that one message a little... Oh, no. It's coming up. I'll mention him later on. But uh, he's a guy that uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He preached the most, one of the most famous messages ever preached in, in this country. And he did it in some monotone voice. But they were like hanging onto the pews thinking they were going to drop into hell. Because, you know what? They were trembling. And I'm telling you, we should be afraid of God. But we have the answer. He came and bled and died for our sins. It's an amazing truth. The gospel is amazing, and that's my intent. I wanted to make grace amazing to you this morning. Um, so, what's the proper response? We've already looked at the thief on the cross and the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, we haven't looked at, but we don't have time. So, letter D, the proper response to God's righteousness revealed and to the gospel is this, repentance. That's the proper response. It's not a work. I'm just telling you what, if you see Christ... Or see you for who you are and Christ for who He is. Remember the thief on the cross? Lord, remember me. You're just going to bow in utter amazement that He's doing this for you. And of course you're going to walk away changed. How do you walk away the same? If you saw Him bleed and die for you, and then you say, yeah, thank you, now I'm going to go and continue in sin. I don't think you get it. I know you don't get it. The Bible says, should we continue in sin that grace can abound? God forbid... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We shouldn't. Now, are we going to potentially fall into sin? Absolutely. We're not perfect. I have a fleshly body. But when we do, we know it and we get right with God. Christians repent quickly and often. That's what a Christian is. However, people who are pretending sometimes just dive into sin. They plan to sin. And I'm asking you, are you planning to sin? After camp's over, are you planning to get on your phone and look at pornography? Because if you are, I'm telling you what, you should question who you are. And whether you really believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a big deal, you guys. Okay, so the proper response is repentance. And number one, when you preach God's law correctly, you are revealing the righteousness of God, righteousness of God and warning of judgment to come for breaking his law. Colossians 1.28 says that very thing. We are to preach Christ, warning every man, warning them. And that's what I've done this morning, warned you. And uh it's quite important. Number two, God only saves wretched sinners, not the righteous. God only saves wretched sinners, not the righteous. <clears throat> That's exactly what it says in, in Luke uh, 5.32. Um, we, we build a six-foot-high privacy white vinyl fence in our yard. 
it goes all the way around and we did that years ago when Elliot was small to keep him from getting hit by a car in the alley, I suppose. But, uh, and it worked. He's still here. That's good. Um, but it's a white vinyl fence and they tend to get, you know, dirty, but it still looks white, you know. But I'm telling you what's interesting is when it snows and the backyard's covered and then you look at the pure white snow up against my fence and you're like, oh my, it's filthy. And I hope that's what I've done for you today. Because we tend to compare ourselves among ourselves and think we're doing just fine. But when you compare yourself with the righteousness of God, I hope you've seen yourself as being very dirty. You're not as good as you think you are. And I hope you want to come to Jesus for a cleansing in the blood of the Lamb and realize you can look on Him and He will pardon you. He will forgive you if you call out to Him. It says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And uh, what, a, what a blessed gospel we have. And uh, with that, I want to read your conclusion with you, and we'll wrap it up. We are not born Christians. We aren't Christians because our parents are Christians. We aren't Christians because we attend church or because we were baptized. You must be born again through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. There is no bribing a good judge on earth, nor is there any bribing of the just judge of the universe with our so-called good works, like baptism, going to church, keeping the sacraments, etc. You can't be found unless you are lost. You can't be given sight until you realize you are blind. You can't be saved from your sin until you realize you are a wretch. It's God, is God's grace, excuse me, is God's offer of grace amazing to you? My hope is that you can now sing the, the most recognized hymn and understand what the songwriter meant when he penned the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You're the wretch that, 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 that he hung on that cross for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'd speak to these kids and... Uh, and really to, to everybody in here, Lord, and, my, and to me, and that we would all have a soft heart and realize we needed a Savior bad. We all deserved hell. And when your righteousness is revealed, we can real, realize and see clearly how dirty we are. I'm so thankful for the, the blood that you shed on the cross for my sin, to wash my sins and make them white as snow. And I, I just ask that you do a great work in, in the lives of, of everyone in here. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.